Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trab. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of of comparing who's got the biggest stick. Remember, kids, the wizard staff has a knob on the end. Oh dear God, we went there. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. This week we are continuing our ongoing series of making the perfect magic system. And we are going to be talking, at least initially, about a focus. And what is a focus, and what does it do, and why would anybody want one? Trav, what is a focus? A focus is an object of some type that you use to, I guess, channel magical energy through, or even perhaps without it you can't do magical spells or incantations it could be something like a wanderous staff or in the case of the pathfinder witch class it could be the familiar itself would be your focus without it you really can't cast spells so it just differs depending on the situation in the system it could be something that takes the magical energy that might be in you or in the area around you and actually channels it to be, for you to be able to manipulate it and turn it into something, or it might be something that you always have to use in order to um, make a spell work, a, a necessary part of it. Yeah, and harkening yeah. back to a previous episode, I'm, isn't that true of the Harry Potter universe? They have to use their wands to catch magic, or can they do magic without the wands? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Josie? Here we go. <laughs> in this case... The wand is a focus, yes, but it's the kind of focus that makes casting magic easier. There are there are those that can cast magic without a wand. We see this several times. Right, the wandless magic class, yeah. Yes. Using it makes accessing that easier. Right, and sometimes it also means that you're going to be able to cast spells more powerfully. You might be able to light a fire or a, a light, or you might be able to do small cantrip-type magic without ever needing something like that. But when you really want to bring the big guns out, you need something to focus the energy through. And uh, that's that's one of the reasons that you see it. Now, in D&D, it's not necessary it's uh, it's actually something else entirely. Um, the meta magic, uh, the 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 staves, 
the uh, uh, and the rods, they actually, in a sense, um, they don't have spells. Some of them do, but I mean, mostly what you're using them for is to enhance your own spell casting. Uh, unlike wands where they literally have spells and spell charges in them. And you just basically, sometimes even a non-magic person can take this thing and just start banging out magic missiles until it runs out of power. Yeah, yeah and through the, use of the magic device skill, yeah. Yeah, and and we're talking wands and staffs. You also have crystals, and you also have like special lenses and other things that can also be used as a focus as well. I mean, we're not limited to wands and uh, staves, you know. Right. Those are the most classic ones that people think of. Yeah. Well, case in point, uh, if you're a fortune teller, your focus would be your magic magic ball. It may actually have no power in it whatsoever, but it's your focus for your powers. It can also be a pool of water, a bowl of water. I've seen people do that. Uh, yeah, and and you look at um, and again look, going back to D and D, there's lots of spells where one of the material components will be something like a crystal, which is not uh, which is not uh, consumed by the spell. It's actually part of the spell. So you know a, a, a lens that you have to shine light through or something like that. So that could be considered to be a focus uh, for your particular spell. Yeah, and I don't know of any magic system out there that requires you to actually have a staff or a state or a wand uh, to cast magic. You can, you know, in most cases, you, if you don't have, you know, they they're like a an add on that may may make it easier to cast magic, but they're they're not required. Um, so I think in most cases, a lot of folks don't really need. You know, most magic systems out there don't require. You have to have your staff to cast your magic, <laughs> right? And, but is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? See, uh, you know, I, it, but I mean, it really does separate out the mages from other people if they're if they have to have this item. I mean, it's very distinctive. It's uh, you. It causes you to use all kinds of flourishes. It it, it can be used to very strongly identify you. You know, uh, as a wizard, the fact that you have this. As a matter of fact, if you look at the um, Nick Pilata stories, uh, the um, the power, this the uh, maturity or the the level, if you want to use that term, of the spellcaster is very clearly reflected in the the staff that they have. I mean, a little small staff. You're a fledgling wizard. You have a big staff. You know, matter of fact, they even would compare the lengths of the staffs between two wizards to see who was the better wizard. So basically, they were size queens. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the point was that it wasn't just them doing it, you know, at, at, in a way that it wouldn't matter, just like the what what it alludes to doesn't really matter. I mean, it actually was something that, that if you did something, for example, where you did a quick recharge, uh, it might actually make the wand smaller because it was it, it had more had the power back in it so you could use it again but now its top level had been cut down to, to in order to provide that power so a magic wand uh, or staff or whatever you want to call it can act, can be used to identify visually to other magicians and of course to um, to players who are not magicians who might be trying to take somebody on, you know, as to what power that person has. I'm trying to remember, and it's been a while since I've let, read Nick Pilata's stories. Um, 
Was there a way to sort of mask your power by making your staff not look quite as powerful? Because let's face it, you're always going to have, and what is the term I'm looking for? The Billy the Kid syndrome. You're going to have some mage who's looking for that guy with the largest staff to take him down because you're going to have spellcasters like that. Was there some way in Nick Pilata's Bureau 13 canon that they could like just diminish that look? I'm sure, I'm sure they did because they didn't always carry this big, huge staff around. They would yank it out of wherever, the hammer space, or maybe it was looked like something else. You know, like maybe it was a, it looked like a, you know, a, a, a pen in their pocket. Then they pull it out and whammo. But when, but when it really came to the throwdown, I think that they were always exactly what they were. Okay. All right. Yeah, and there is the other th- the other form of focus. I, I mentioned in, in some of the notes we did. I did. And that's the magic feather. It really is just a stick. But you've been trained such that, well, you can't do magic unless you have your magic feather in your hand. So it's a psychological crutch. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, it, and like anything, you can learn to do without. But you know, it's basically it, it may. This is something that maybe the higher level mages do with their apprentices to keep them in line. You take away their stick, they can't do magic. <clears throat> Even though they probably can't, they thought hard enough about it. I want all the wands on my desk now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody, anybody who's ever uh, done that and uh, uh, seen what happens uh, with people who are messing around with pens knows that's a bad idea because all of a sudden they're they're being hurled from every part of the room toward the desk. <laughs> I'm reminded of the scene in, in the old CBS CBC series Due South where the Mountie walks into the biker bar. I want all of your knives now. One sticks into the wall next to him. He just goes. Thank you. <laughs> so there's that. I mean, the, the fact that it can be, it, it, it actually can indicate, you know, and to you too. I mean, you got a big honkins, uh, is, it, even if it's a magic feather, John, you got a big honkin staff that might make you be able to be a better caster than you had some little, little you know, white and black magician's wand. I mean, it's it's something about the presentation. I think really helps the spellcaster. You know, do it whether it might be it is in fact better or it just makes you feel better about your casting. I, I know that whole size thing is an actual thing, but what about the the more intricate designs on this sort of thing? If, if like you could identify it by how intricate the design on the staff is, not that. Yeah just by the size of it. Josie, did you see the Dungeons & Dragons movie, the first one? No. Okay, it's too bad because the one thing that they did very impressive was was the wands or stabs, I forget what they, which which they were, but they were very elaborate and gems on them and they didn't, they weren't straight. They were all twisted and wrapped around and spirally and, you know, you, you took one look at that and you said, this thing's got some serious power. And of course, you know, the, the, the main magician was trying to make the ultimate 
you know, wand or staff to control dragons. So when he had this thing in his hand, it was like you could feel the throbbing power of it. it it, But to the audience who couldn't, of course, feel the throbbing power, it was very impressive to see. And it glowed and and everything else. And uh, that's, I think that's something that's real. I agree with you. I think that that's something that that should also be uh, part of of your wand. If you're going to have one, it ought to be really impressive looking. Yeah. You also uh, want to differentiate your own from someone else's. Absolutely. So yeah, it goes back to and and Josie will remember this. We've talked about it in spell books. You have when you write all, all your own spells down, it's the standard magical notation, but half of it is also your own notes. So yeah, it makes the spell book your own because only you can read it. That's why you have to decode another spell book. So I get that as far as making your wand or staff or whatever focus you have unique. (laughs) And this is something for the player to really, you know, invest themselves in their character. You know, these kinds of things, you know, uh, it's it's always a mistake to say, well, what are you wearing? I'm wearing a plus one suit of of leather or I have a wand of this. It says, no, no, what do you have? And then get them to actually describe it and put the embellishments in. So as you say, Josie, so one wand, you you know, if you find a wand, everyone says, oh, that's, let's do, you know, we can do a legend lore because that wand belonged to so-and-so. So, and you used it at the at the the pass of something, and and they they could recognize it just by the fact it looked. It's not like in Harry Potter where they had to go up to Oleander and say, "Okay, so whose wand is this?" You know, and, and nobody could identify wands because they had a big pile of them, and it, it's they should have been a lot more identifiable. Yeah, actually, that does cover the topic of improving them. I, can you improve a wand? Yeah, I would say you could, you know, um, either you get better, well, there's two ways of improving one. One, you get better wand, you know, of course, or you bling up your current wand, which covers that, you know, um, what you said about, you know, intricate carving and, you know, and, and so forth, or your staff, you know, I mean, you know, um, uh, blinging up a staff with, with gold and re- pressure, precious gems, you know, I mean, when you read descriptions in the, in the old DM, uh, dungeon masters gu- guide for a lot of these weapons and staffs, these things were blinged up to the nines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they said it was required. It was part of what made it magical. It may able to be enchanted was it was of the finest quality, not only physically, but also aesthetically. I think also doing rituals, you know, if you need to make it better, maybe you need to do some sort of ritual ritual on it, uh, some sort of ritual spell. This even includes if if it's the only way you can do magic. You know, I always say rituals always are something special. And even if you need a wand to do magic, you can always do a ritual, which means it takes longer and requires more stuff. But you can always do something to improve your wand so it gives you more power or faster casting speed. You know, you got three things. More power, faster casting speed, more spells. Pick one. Uh <laughs> 
Okay, but uh, Trav, um, okay, which do you think is going to be a better wand? A wand that's just like straight birchwood or a wand that's birchwood and covered with specific runes that are uh, directed toward the type of spells that are cast out of that wand? Well, I'd say definitely the rune-inscripted wand because if the runes are specifically for what it is you want to use, let's say it is a wand of lightning bolt. Usually you're probably going to have either lightning bolts on it, like etched in and possibly like gold inlaid or silver inlaid. Or if you're in the term, the te- a technomancer more type, if it's a wand of lightning bolt, the artificer might actually etch in like circuit patterns on the side of the wand to show that it is a wand that emits electrical energy. So yeah, I would go with the the more ornate wand, especially if the runes on it coincide with the wand's purpose. Well, I would think that that would be one of the reasons to put them on there would be to you know, uh, but it, it, it a focus for your focus. Yeah, it's redundant, but well, I mean, it, it adds extra qualities to it. You know, by doing the runes, you're sort of now dedicating this wand to a specific, you know, class of magics, you know, so yeah, if I start doing, if I start putting fire, you know, runes of fire, fire elemental on the wand, I'm going toward the, I'm going to be using this one doing fire magic with more or less, you know, uh, at that point. Also, I think the material is made out of, I mean, yes, made out of birch is great, but uh, this one here is carved from the heart of an old oak tree. It's much better than yours. <laughs> yeah. Usually when you get, well, the oak tree is the oak tree is 150 years old. Your birch is only 25. So old is better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you say so. Yeah. <laughs> the older, stronger trees. Yes. Well, also, I think you could also go into because the tree is older, it has a stronger connection to the earth and the mana of it, and you could throw all that in as more buy-in to why. Mm-hmm. Your wand from an 150-year-old oak tree is better from this than from this young birch tree because mm-hmm. it's had time to built in to to not build it. It's had time to build up essence, for lack of a better word. Yeah, right. Right, that makes sense. Yes. And the the you you're talking about the runes. I agree with the the specific runes and whatnot. It may make it easier for that particular wand to to channel that that type. Okay. Like, for instance, your fire thing. All right. Whatever fire, whatever. Usually, it's opposite is ice or water, depending on what you're talking about. Yeah. It may be more difficult to channel such spells through a fire-oriented wand. Yeah, and maybe you'd want that because that would reduce. Then, if someone stole your wand, assuming, of course, it wasn't a wand that only you could use, uh, uh, even possibly being um, antagonistic toward another uh, wielder, but it would also mean that they couldn't cast other spells using it because you had basically said this wand is focused to be this 
I don't use shouldn't use the word focus. It's, it's been, uh, sanctified, specialized to to do these types of spells and do them very well. Yeah. It's a specialization. Yeah. And that's and that's a good thing. So in a way, you're kind of okay. And I'm using the D and D Pathfinder OGL terms here. <laughs> so you're saying that toward let we'll use the fire wand. Let's say that to spells without the fire descriptor on it, it would be as if it was an impeded school. Like, uh, well, you, at the very least, you might have to make a spellcraft check to have to go, okay, I want to cast a different type of spell, a non-fire spell through this fire-based wand and make your spellcraft check. And if you fail, eh, nothing. Something like that. Okay. Or it would be, as you say, a diminished response. Okay. So yeah, and so you have this item that has you know a basic ability to channel magic, and then you start embellishing it uh, with things. Maybe for every fire opal you put on it, it would have the ability to cast a specific spell once a day with you know without you know without requiring any any, any man, mana coming from the spellcaster okay it, it basically these you know it, it's, it's not only a channel it's also a spell battery but not for everything or it could be for everything but also but more importantly for specific type spells that you're interested in and so you could you could do that or uh, as you were talking about John where you get to pick 3 well you know in, in D&D they also have a lot of meta magic feats so if you put these kinds of runes or these kinds of of uh, jewels or precious metals or whatever, then you gain the ability to cast further, or the spells last longer, or they have us a, a more ability to ignore people's shielding against them, uh, or uh, they. Um, their area is bigger. The area of effect is bigger. Okay, without actually having to, uh, either you don't have to use as much mana for it to happen, or maybe it just doesn't happen. And let you know, you could have like a thousand points of mana, but you could only cast ten points into a spell without these particular embellishments because it just won't do that bigger, more elaborate spell without it. And in, now it's going to cost you a hundred, but now you're doing like you know instead of it being like a a five foot radius, it's a fifty foot radius spell. Well, you know that's a big improvement in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, but this one, it's it, I get a I get a, a bonus to you know like a plus two bonus to casting these 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 types of spells. You know that's another way of putting it too. Or the DC, or if you're talking OGL, the the DC is uh, five points lower. Which is a big thing, if I if I remember correctly, right, right Trav? If I if I can drop my my DC from say twenty five to twenty, that's a lot easier to cast that spell. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But usually, from what I understand of the rules of magic and various mm -hmm. things I've seen in OGL, if mm -hmm. you want to drop the DC to cast a spell, you're usually making it into a ritual, anyways, because it's yeah. like every round extra that you do with the casting, oh, it'll drop the DC by two. 
Yes. So if you want to knock it down by 10, you got to add five extra rounds or whatever. That's usually it, what I've seen, but I get your point. Yeah, I mean, we did say, I did say, you know, one way to improve is to do a ritual. Hey, one of the rituals, I'm doing all the ritual except for the bit that says fire. Yeah. It's been pre-burned into the wand, so to yeah. speak. You know, and of course, yeah, we were talking about it with triggers the last. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. So, and also, it doesn't you know what? You're not limited to wood. I mean, they, I've heard I've read stories where they had stones, where they had staves made of quartz, you know, and made of stone and metal. metal yeah, and shell and shell, and uh, which is really stone, and even iron. I've even read stories where they have iron wands. Are there any made out of rubber? I've never heard that. I heard of a well, I don't know. Maybe bonds. maybe we could write a game from you could bounce the idea <laughs> off. But uh Josie, um when we're you know, when we talk about focus, all right, aren't we real aren't aren't what we really doing is just nerfing the magic user? I mean, shouldn't all these benefits that we're talking about be something that the maid should already should have or should be developing internally? And you know, aren't we just as as you put it, John, aren't we just creating a crutch for the magic user, you know, why should we, you know, isn't this a isn't this a bad thing to have in the game? Possibly. It really depends on what you're uh, what you're dealing with. Well, can you give me an example where it's a it would be a bad thing or a good thing versus having the maids be able to do it by themselves? Josie, I think the best way to describe it would be Harry Potter, where yes, where. Just it, with the wands and the wandless class, yeah. In, in that case, yes. It's not just the adult wizards that can do it. There are younger ones that learn how to perform much better one. Um, Riddle. Tom Riddle. Okay. Before he's even in school, he can do magic without a wand. He's oh, oh, we know that Dumbledore and all the higher-ups already, they took a notice to him then. Yeah. And Harry did, too. Yeah. Harry, not so much. He made a wall disappear between a snake and, and somebody, and, and his, his foster brother. That was not intentional. I'm talking about intentionally doing it. But the fact that he could do it without a wand shows that spells could... He, Spells could be cast without them. Yes. It shows that magic is possible without a wand, but usually it can't. Not too many people learn how to use, how to control it that way. It's a lot more difficult to control magic without using a wand. Things like wands and stuff give, you, give the powers that be and, you know, a, a leverage over the spellcaster because they can take them away. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, we will give you this phenomenal cosmic power, but you must use this object to focus it. And if you don't have that object, oh, well. Again, it, that, I think that's more setting dependent because there are, like Harry Potter, you can cast magic without the wand focus. It's just harder to do so, except for special cases like Tom Riddle. And then there are other settings and games that 
at the most, you might need just the three types of components, like in an OGL game, verbal, somatic, and material. Uh, are we considering material components to be uh, foci? Well, they're listed amongst material components, but I would say that I, I think that its, it's purpose is not to be, you know, the uh, the thing that uh, that the material component falls into as part of the evoking of the spell, and then it disappears. It gets consumed. Most of them. So a focus is a component that does not disappear upon activation of the spell. All right. Yeah. Right. I would say that would be a fairly uh, accurate thing. Now, I believe there are spells in the book that mention focus style components. Uh, yeah, usually, Josie, they are the. Uh, well, there's a few arcane spells, but usually in OGL, like Pathfinder's core rulebook, you're going to have for divine spells the focus, and for that, it's usually your holy symbol. Um, also, divination spells. A lot of them use focus. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, like arcane spells, like a pool of water or a mirror. Right. Would use. I yeah. wasn't talking just divine spells, solo. So, so divination. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't use the word divine because that brings people to think about clerics. That's all. Yeah. So here's the question: Improvise wands and staves. Oh, my my wand got broken in half. I grab I grab a stick and clean the brand clean the bits off and can I use it as a wand or am I sort of you know sorry out of luck? <laughs> well, I would say it depends on how the wand works. If, mm-hmm. for example, you say that things like a tree, okay, mm-hmm. because it is a tree, grows into the ground, reaches up to the sky, is a natural conduit for magic or mana, th- like from a, a ley line, you know, basically draws up through it up to, you know, from the bottom to the top or from the top to the bottom because, you know, that's the way lightning goes, lightning. Uh, then you could say that wood has, has, has natural channels for magic to go through it. And so a, a properly prepared wand would, of course, be far more powerful and far more reliable than a impromptu wand, but it doesn't mean that taking, you know, a, a sapling and, and, and chopping it off and using it wouldn't serve that purpose, at least to the extent of getting some kind of magical effect out of it. If you say that's what it's doing. So you're saying for the purposes of the setting, you could use an improvised wand, the GM would just impose a whatever penalty, either diminished power or a harder roll or but you could do it. Yeah, I mean, and it could be, it could even be, it, it, it might not be diminished, okay? You grab a sapling, you, you grab a sapling of the one tree, chop it off and start waving that thing around. It might be better than most people's, you know, well-worn, you know, uh, well, well-manufactured ones, at least in terms of raw power. Oh, wait a minute, the one tree, uh, Yggdrasil, the Norse tree? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, heck, you, you... You can you sit there and do a twig and probably end up putting a hole in a castle wall with that one. You get a custom, <laughs> you get a custom that tree 
No, all bets are off. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but first, you have to get past past the wolf to get that sap that little bit. <laughs> details, details, John. Okay, which brings me uh, okay back to the question of you know do do you need a wand or you need this focus? Okay, and and I, I and since now you guys have answered this th- this way, let me say that these items a lot of times allow you to make a huge jump in power when you are insufficient to the task. You know, these these become quest items. So here you are, first level mage, you know, going back to D&D because we all have that experience, okay? And someone drops a wand of fireballs in your hand. Well, you're no longer a first level mage, are you? Well, no. I mean, let's see. First level mage, they cast zero and first level spells in order to cast fireball. If you're a wizard, you have to be minimum fifth level. Yeah, that's to you. That'd be a quantum leap in power. You're you're a kid with an R, with an RPG and a box full of grenades. Yep. <laughs> yep. When you are questing sometimes against a great evil, a lot of times you're. You know, you you see yourselves inadequate to doing the job, and it's a very and it's it's not just used in in uh, magic. It's used in science fiction, and everything else, where there's some you're looking for some art artifact or some uh, gizmo by some ancient scientist or something like that that you can grab hold to, and and basically even even the playing field, right. It'll, it has that that function where you can use it, the GM can use it as a means of filling in the inadequacies of the player, okay, for the purposes of the adventure. Now, you know, it can be get out of control afterwards if you give them something really powerful, like, say, the twig of, 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 of the one tree, okay, maybe that needs to be consumed at some point during the battle, uh, but... I'm saying is that that's one of the main reasons to have these kinds of items is because it allows you to go some place where you have no reasonable expectation of getting there any time in the near future. Yeah. One way of handling, you know, if you're using wands as a mean of, of focus and he gets a better wand, uh, you can always do the fire hose routine, which is, yeah, you can use the cast magic easier. It's easier now for you to cast magic, but your failures are far more spectacular because it is the fire hose you're hanging on to and not the garden hose you originally had. And if you blow that roll, the failure is far more devastating than what you had before than what you had before. <laughs> you know the the staff in um um oh uh, the sorcerer's apprentice yeah classic example had no trouble casting that spell <laughs> it just kept getting out of it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger once the mage showed up who actually knew how to use that he just like grabbed it and boom that's done. it yep took care of it yeah but you know, but if you all of a sudden you needed, uh, but if, if you needed like a hundred uh, water carriers during a middle of uh, somebody the fire, the castle burning down, well, it would be nice to get your hands on that stick. <laughs> yeah, it would have worked. Yeah, you know, it would have saved the day. 
and most GMs, if you get a wand of fireballs, it has charges, and you have no and you can't recharge it yourself because you don't know how to spell. Yeah, but that's a again, that's a game balance thing, John. Okay, the the point is that the reason that you're getting your hands most of the time, the reason you're getting your hands on that wand is because it's got a purpose in the adventure. You know, it it gets lets lets you get someplace that you otherwise would. You know, we'd be playing for another six months before we could start talking about it. Meanwhile, you know, the evil bad guy's taking over the world. Yeah. And harken back, you only buy so many flasks of oil you to carry on your person. So, yeah, having one of fireballs is a lot better than a bag full of, of flask of oil. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this now we did and the notes we did mention there is the other one other kind of focus we haven't talked about yet, the furry kind that you have to feed. <laughs> Josie, what kind of familiar would you like to have? Something that won't set my nose off every day. <laughs> so like a fish, right? <laughs> no. Walking around with a bowl and a fish inside of it, and the fish is looking at you like, just test me. Go ahead. Test me, says the goldfish. I don't like fish. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe the, maybe you don't get a choice, Josie. <laughs> but I am giving you a choice. So what do you want? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you say, my familiar is... A fox. Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking. I was thinking of, of a ferret. <laughs> well, I mean, because foxes, you know, in a lot of traditions, are actually woodland spirits. Um, a lot of times, you know, people represent familiars as being minor supernatural beings in animal form, whose job it is to aid you um, in your spell casting, possibly to the uh, purposes of its ultimate master who sent it or you know it could just be your sin you know synergy between your spirit and the you know and, and the fox or you know it that's you know, the two of you you know imprint on each other and and it and because you have magical power its magical essence is released and so you end up with a fox foxes are can see in the dark really well foxes are very stealthy uh, foxes can be very affectionate, and they're they're really loud when they want to be, just like ferrets. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I know. I know yeah. all about ferrets. They stink. <laughs> they bite. It hurts, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, they're, biting hurts. Oh. <laughs> they are part of the mucilid family, which means yeah. they're, sk they're skunks in training. <laughs> yeah, technically. Yes, they are. Okay. I use. We used to have three ferrets, and I used to feed them until one of them bit me and wouldn't let go. Oh, I didn't oh yeah, no, I've been, I was bit by Zeke more than once, Josie, my, the ferret I used to have a few years back. I, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Tenacious, eh? Yeah, of course, if, if Richard was here, he would talk about his rats. Oh, I would imagine Richard would have rats for either rats or cats, or maybe both. You never know. Um, I think a nice fluffy bunny is much better. Yeah. Nice fluffy bunny. <laughs> I eat all the green stuff I don't like. I would see Rich having a cat familiar. Me, I would want like a hawk. Mm. 
they can fly, fantastic vision, you know. Well, if I couldn't have a ferret, I'd probably have a corgi. Oh, God. Why a corgi? No dogs. Absolutely not. <laughs> you know I said? Oh, well, that's my well, I I've, I've met many corgis in my life, and they're affectionate, and they're, they're nice, and they're just darn cute. <laughs> they may be cute. It is still a dog. Hey, it's better than some of the other things that have been that have been used as as familiars, wasps and butterflies. Nope, 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 same thing. Butterflies definitely one year. You know, the rest it, of the time. It being your familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you. With the usual rules with familiars, they tend to be. Again, if you go by the D and D Pathfinder Wizard and Sorcerer <laughs> familiar rules, they don't become. Excuse me. Mm, they Long- become augmented. So you could probably expect a longer lifespan from a usually short lifespan creature, such as a wasp or a butterfly, where they mm. might last five, six years because you two sort of share bio force. Or they might get bigger. Well, that too. A giant wasp. Yeah, no. I don't think I need to cast a spell. If I just got a giant wasp hovering over my shoulder, most <laughs> people would just be like, yeah, and, and yeah. Josie knows the song that I'm referring to. <laughs> they just cue the Young Blaze song, and you're done. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> that one. Just cue the outro. <laughs> just keep together your outro. That's it. Yep, yep, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Was that Bruce? I'm sorry, I see like I, I see like lost. I'm done. <laughs> yep. Check please. Yeah. Okay, Bruce. All right, Trav, you've been on Facebook enough that when they bring out the giant spiders, this is it's like everyone's like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> a whole no, lot of I, nope, yeah, you know, yeah. a kingdom of nope, you know, nope yeah. on a rope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, me, I'm kind of allergic to spider bites, so yeah, it kind of, I'm just like, no, that can, and we're scrolling, and we're scrolling. Oh, look, a puppy. No, no, no. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing that a a, a hand sized. Spider literally will just terrify anybody. Oh yeah, but a dog that size, you wouldn't be afraid of at all. I have actually seen a spider that that is about as big as both my hands put together. I have actually seen it. I was inside the house in five seconds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, another one you could you make case for would be snakes. Oh yeah. Ooh. Oh no. See, no. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. As far as the rule, like rules would say, yeah, you could have a snake. It's not. It's it's a familiar you can have. And notice, I said a familiar you can, you have. can have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, when people get a chance to choose them, they fall into one of two categories. Either they're small and, um, you know, unobservable, uh, usually. So, therefore, you know, they end up, you know, being something you can keep safe. So, because, you, you know, the, those are people who are like, essentially, the, the spellcaster becomes a better spellcaster 
just because they have this uh, this this creature on them, okay? But otherwise, they have no presence. You don't see them, okay? Or they uh, they have huge amounts of personality, and you know what whatever one you choose, and they're in your face all the time, everywhere. They might as well be another player character, okay? Uh, and and then the third type is where they are. They have presence. Their very existence has presence. So one of my uh, earlier girlfriends, her albino saber tooth tiger, familiar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like her. I liked her too. Pretty, pretty kitty. Oh, I heard. Yeah, albino saber tooth. Yes, and and we and once she found out about how they could be killed. Uh, then we had to start talking about making her look like Battle Cat by putting armor all over this thing, you know, and stuff. I run, I run a game where the where I measure all the ways wizards had familiars, and one of them had a horse as his familiar. That's very useful. It can carry you, you know. It can it can fight with you, and it also has you know the ability to either be your focus for spell casting or. Uh, or assist you in spell casting. And he, he, the character was a, was a battle mage, so it was a war horse. It okay. wasn't any horse. It was a war horse. Yeah, so, yeah. Let's just take a look at that conversation here. <laughs> this wizard's going back, limping back to the thing, and the other wizard going, what happened? I got kicked by the other wizard's familiar. <laughs> now, usually when you think of a familiar, it's something small, little, like, you're going to, wait a minute, you got kicked by a familiar, and then you have to tell them it was a war horse, and they all go, oh, okay. <laughs> and the best way to describe him is, what's his name from uh, tw- from Tangled? I've got his name, the horse's name. Oh, the horse, right. Or the horse from Hercules. Yeah, well, it's the same horse, basically. That's a... <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten the name, too. That horse was awesome. And um and the horse in um in, in Briscoe County Junior. Oh, Comet Comet was great. Yes, yeah. You're all talking. Uh, you're all talking about horse familiars. I think of one horse that I really like. That that uh, I, I think of one particular horse, and that's Epona. Either that oh, or the various horses from Skyrim, which are totally insane, and will go face to. To hook with a dragon. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't played Skyrim, but I've seen, yeah, the horses are insane. <laughs> now, if you have, and, and this is where the game system kind of comes in. If you're familiar, because it's a magical creature, it cannot be harmed by mundane effects like guns or knives or things like that. Only uh, only could be killed by a magic spell and possibly only by a very powerful magic spell because it was granted to you by a semi, you know, deity type being. Then there, you know, well, you know, let's 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 put aside the abuses of familiars uh, because of that reason. Then they become something that you don't mind having around. They're not a liability. You know, they're they're not something that you're constantly afraid you're going to lose. Uh, you know, th- then they become a, a partner in many ways. Yeah, and there's a lot of intelligence differences between animals. So are are familiars 
you know, regardless of what how it's done in D and D or anything else, what do you think? Do you want your familiar to be as smart as you, smarter than you, dumb as a brick? You know, just follows orders like a good soldier. What? What? You know, what do you want, Trav? I would say that I would want my familiar to have some intelligence, not necessarily that of a smart pet, maybe childlike intelligence. It can understand pretty decent concepts where it's not, I have to sit there and spell out everything. Cause that would just get annoying. I would say, yeah, a smarter than normal animal for a familiar. So like a pack dog kind of level. Yeah. You know, you it, it can understand what you want. You're pointing at something. You describe it. You know, the, the guy with the red hair wearing the green cloak. Of course, that's a bad thing to do with a dog because it doesn't have... Colorblind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but okay, let's go with that. Same, same idea. Assuming this is a magical creature, maybe it has perfect vision. So yeah, I mean, you, you could basically give it com- relatively complex instructions, but at the same time, it wasn't arguing with you over whether or not you should be casting that particular spell and and maybe have co- and maybe having a running commentary on your social life i don't need hmm. to be getting advice on like my love life from a familiar that would just be wrong unless of course it's it's getting more than you are right well in that case then it's fired i'm getting a new familiar <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily uh, one of those things and, and and Josie knows this. The, Josie knows his voice. Just look at it and go get out. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. I, mean. <laughs> I know that one too. Yeah. yeah. Your uh, icon is pretty much the start of that. <laughs> yep. Okay, <But> John. <laughs> yeah, we have to make a point that not not all familiars do anything for you. I mean, the, the, there's a actually great genre example of that that's Gigi from Kiki's uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. He's really just her friend. <laughs> He's Kiki's friend. Is he her, her familiar then? Well, according to according to everything I read, including the books, it's based on he is. But he's she treats familiars. The author treats familiars differently. Uh, in this case, he's more of a confidant. And a sounding board for Kiki, Kiki than he was a um, he was more of a Jiminy Cricket at this point and than anything else. Of course, he's a cat, so of course he has a cat sensibilities for, for things. So he's a useless familiar. Okay. Well, he, he he does indicate when she loses her ability to do magic, she stopped talking to him, and he, he stopped talking to her. He started acting more like a cat. Right, but then later on he gets her magic back and he doesn't start talking to her anymore. In the American version, uh, he do- it is indicated that he does. In the Japanese version, he doesn't. But then again, she's got her confidence back and he's now her pet rather than her familiar. So, so in other words, if anything, he was a crutch. Yeah. But normally when we talk about familiars, we're talking about something that is either, you know, that is enhances spellcasting or makes it possible. Or could be a portable source of mana. Magic, if using uh, magic points, it could be a, well, a living, living battery. It could be the only source of magic in some stories. Depending on the, on the uh, system you're using, it also could be an extra pair of eyes. A liter- literal eyes. That is, you close your eyes, and you're now you're seeing out the f- familiar's eyes. Right. 
So, and, but of course, if he's not going in where you want him to go, then it's not too helpful either. But yes, that's one of the qualities that uh, we, we, we want to talk about in a second. But, um, oh, uh, we were talking about intelligence. John, how smart do you want it to be? I'm torn between the pack dog and something I have a conversation with. Um, I guess I would go with the conversation. You know, I hate to say it, I, I like the idea of having having a snarky, a snarky familiar. Uh, you know. Oh, you know, that, that's boss. Lovely. Wow, boss. Where's dinner? I'm hungry. Shut up. <laughs> You just ate that mouse like two seconds ago. <laughs> and I can still smell it on your breath. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Josie? How smart do you want your familiar to be? Yeah, I agree with the whole being able to have a conversation with them. Well, it's funny because in the Friday game, the Bureau 13 Old West game that we're running, she's playing the iconic witch that Bureau 13 first got, Samantha Poole. And your cat familiar's name is Leonidas? Yeah. Yeah. And so far, yeah, we've had a little bit of interplay between, and I think, you know, we, I've, I've played the familiar and we've, you know, back and forth a little bit. So, yeah, I, I think I, I can see where being able to actually converse with the familiar if only in its own tongue and you magically understand it, it understands you is very helpful because if you can talk to the cat at that level or the familiar, you can tell it, okay, go over there to the enemy camp, look around, come back. Being able to converse like that means you can send the cat or wherever, where you want it to check out. And then it can give you a detailed report of what's over there. So I think that is a very good quality to have in a familiar is intellectual compatibility. It's it's not just it's not just for the practical uses. I mean sometimes there's really nobody else to talk to and you get bored just talking to yourself. Well also I, I do. <laughs> well also Josie and you can try to back me up on this. Because you have such a bond with a familiar, if you're a magic user, often that bond goes to where you can relate to that familiar better than you can to your own race. It's like, yeah, I'm human, but because of the magical, mystical bond I have with this animal, it knows me better than anyone ever will because it has part of my essence in it and I have part of its essence in me. We are simpatical in a way that I can never be with other humans and the familiar can never be with any of its race. So there are times what? you want to converse with it because you have that, just that ultimate union. And this is why I would like my familiar to be a lot smarter than me. <laughs> First of all, because then it's more likely to stay out of trouble, uh, unless, of course, that's its nature. Secondly, is is that I like the idea of somebody who's smarter and more capable than me watching my watching my back and not misinterpreting things, okay? And and going like you know, because people who've had pets have, have had lots of experiences where 
these things have like gotten a vibe and gone and attacked somebody or or did something that they did and and they're like now what am I going to do with you you dumb animal you know so I'd like them to be smarter um, if this thing has been granted to you by some you know greater power then probably it would be it would be part of its job to mentor you in the direction that would be to the um, the focus of that particular uh, higher life form. So having it smarter than me means that makes it all easier. You know, they can expl- help me explain magic to me, help me under- evaluate my own performance, uh, give me, you know, tips saying, hey, you know, you're, you keep dropping your elbow every time you do that motion. You know, I'm sick of you flubbing the spell. Look, you, do we have to get, get the camera in here and, and, and do this slow-mo and, you know, or, or something like that, you know, to, so you can start doing that. We, you know, because if they, sitting there having something that's looking at you and saying, well, he's doing something wrong, but I just don't know what it is. And boy, I feel really sad about that. I don't want that. I want something that's going to be as helpful as possible. Now, of course, you want it to be so loyal to you that it doesn't like try to rule you. You know, you're still the boss, so to speak, much like the president and the people that are supposed to be around him. I can see that. But, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, you're the king and his chancellors, you know, they're all supposed to be experts in their field and they give him good advice so he can make good, or she can make good decisions. And that's what I would want my familiar to do, have that kind of relationship. Now, of course, if it's a friendly relationship, that's even better, you know? I mean, I, I've always liked, you know, hanging around with the smartest guy in class. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.